to the brightest audience in the country and welcome to the Dominic Enyart Show. Happy Valentine's Day. With it being Valentine's Day, we are airing part two of Bob Enyart's series on God's plan for marriage. And I'm glad that we're getting to part two because part one was somewhat a bit more technical on what marriage is, what is the church's role in marriage, what is the government's role in marriage. And part two is much more focused on the individual relationship, which I think is probably a little bit better of a topic for Valentine's Day. And so to all you Christian married couples out there, happy Valentine's Day. I hope that today's show can be a blessing to you and your marriage. And if you would like to catch the entire series, head over to kgov.com slash store and search God's plan for marriage, and you'll find it right there. Or head to today's show summary on kgov.com, and you will see a link there as well. Without further ado, let's jump right into the broadcast. This month, we're talking about God's plan for marriage. First, we discuss the government's role. And if you miss that, The sermon is available on DVD. It goes out to families around the country and on MP3 CD. And you're invited to see the notes for that sermon online by just clicking on the writings at kgov.com. In November, Lord willing, we'll discuss how to have an effective prayer life and what that means to pray, what kind of prayers God enjoys hearing from us, And what kind of prayers does God want to answer? But that's in November. And before that, beginning on October 9th, we plan to talk about raising godly kids. And of course, if a married couple has children, then they could be an example of the love of Christ to their children. For one of the best things to do for your children, men, is to love your wife, their mother, And moms, one of the best things you can do for your kids is to love your husband, their father. Now, we talk a lot about kids and marriage, and there's a Christian interest in something called the generational curse. And I'd just like to state in passing that at Denver Bible Church, we don't teach that there is a mystical generational curse. We think that that kind of teaching is superstition wrapped in Christian doctrine. But there is a real generational curse that is the natural consequences of parents who don't honor God and don't love one another the way God wants them to and who involve themselves in alcoholism or other forms of rebellion and selfishness, but I'm getting ahead of myself by about a month. So let's back up to something good, something right and wonderful, loving your wife, loving your husband. Today we are going to consider just one idea on how to assess the strength of your marriage. Of course, we could look at the seven signs of an at-risk family 
or six ways to improve your marriage. And these are so important. And I've benefited over the years from such counseling techniques and books and lists. But today, let's look at just one thing. For if you know that your marriage is strong, then that will affect how you behave. Just as if you realize that your marriage is weaker or even struggling, then that knowledge, that understanding, should also affect how you behave. So please turn to Numbers chapter 6, if you have a Bible handy. And this one thing that we're going to look at is also helpful, whether you're married or not, with friendships and neighbors and employers and customers. This one thing will help a lot if you're a salesman to gauge how your relationship is with your customers. This is a very valuable biblical principle for marriage and all of life. Now, of course, marriage is to be a blessing. And it's interesting that the concepts of marriage and blessing are linked in Genesis and in Revelation. Isaac blessed his son Jacob when he encouraged him to find a wife. In Genesis 28, Isaac blessed Jacob, encouraging him to find a wife. In Revelation 19, we see that the blessing of a wife corresponds to the eternal union between Christ and his people as we read, blessed are those who are called to the marriage, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the marital union, the woman takes the family name of the man, right? That's how it's done, and that's how it's been done for generations. Just as when God blesses Israel, he puts his name upon them. So let's look at that, and then we'll consider an important way to assess the strength of your marriage. Numbers chapter 6, verse 23 Speak to Aaron and his sons, says God to Moses, saying to Aaron, the priest, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Last night at the Colorado Right to Life banquet, Pastor Michael Walker, a Messianic Jew from Church in the City, he gave the benediction for the banquet, and he quoted this passage in Hebrew and in English, after first leading us in a toast, Lachayim, for life. In verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Notice that, so they shall put my name on them and I will bless them. Marriage puts the husband's name on his wife and on their children. That's convenient because in modern times, people have taken to believing that it is somehow prejudice against women for the woman to take her husband's name. So many will have two names hyphenated. And we've talked over the years about how difficult that gets when you have a child and maybe your child has two names, but then when your child wants to get married, maybe to somebody who has two names, then they have four names. And real quickly, 
you have more names than could be written in any book in the world because your names are too long. So, because we don't want our children to have to choose between a mother's identity and a father's identity, there is one identity in the blessing of marriage because the two become one flesh. And so the woman takes the husband's name just as God the Father had a bride, Israel, who took his name. And so husbands, the way God made us, it should be very evident to us whether our wives are smiling or frowning. On the outside, they might be smiling to be polite for the sake of the children or friends. But on the inside, are they frowning and could we tell the difference? This is one of the ways that God has given to us to assess our marriages and our other relationships. You might say, well, if my wife is frowning on the inside, I can't see that. How am I supposed to know? But we all know that this is generally a very weak excuse. For as a nation, Israel couldn't see God, could they? Could they see him? No, God is a spirit. And a spirit does not have flesh and blood until, of course, God the Son came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And then his disciples could see his countenance physically because he was walking with them. But as a nation, even though Israel could not see God with their eyes, they had the responsibility to know when his countenance had fallen. They had the responsibility to know when they were letting him down. God gave us a conscience, a spirit, a soul, and a body, and how they are interwoven is extraordinary to behold. And these parts of who we are have extraordinary abilities, including to know and to discern and to relate. And just like someone whose conscience tells him that he is doing wrong, but he ignores it, and over time the voice of his conscience becomes quieter and quieter, until, if asked, he might even deny that there is such a voice at all. And so, too, God has given to the husband and to the wife, of course, a tremendous ability. If he chooses to use it and to hone it and to exercise and grow it, the ability to know his wife. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to your wife. So let's look again here in number 6, verses 25 and 26. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Dwell with your wife with understanding. If my wife has to struggle to lift up her face, her countenance when she greets her husband, then I am almost certainly letting her down. I say almost certainly because human beings are complex, our relationships are complex, but in the scriptures, God gives us principles that we are very wise if we heed them and apply them. 
I am almost certainly not loving her as Christ wants me to love her if it's difficult for her to greet me with a countenance that shows that she is blessed. This is true, of course, of the husband. Wives, if his wife does not respect him, does not try to build him up, then he might be able to force it, but he will have a hard time showing to his wife that he is blessed. For the way God made us, our countenance is a window to the soul. And again, it's not just the face, the eyes, the cheeks, the mouth, for these are under the influence of one's deeper countenance to be sure. But even if we only look at the surface, beauty is only skin deep, they say, but ugliness goes to the bone. Well, even if we only look at the face, how God created us so that our eyes alone can express who we are and what's happening within us. It's astounding to consider how the eyes reveal whether somebody's happy or sad, enthralled or angry, and countless subtle transitions in between. But then it's not only your eyes, right? You add to your eyes all the muscles in our face and the muscles required to frown and to smile your cheeks and your lips and your forehead, and you put it all together and one look, a still photograph of someone's expression is worth a thousand words. Now, Natalie and Matt have just had a baby, and I'd like to go back to their wedding ceremony. I took out an excerpt here from my notes, and to hear what was said to them, words that I have included in many of the weddings I have performed, saying to them, and looking especially at Matt, that God gave men this responsibility to lead, not only in marriage, but in the family, the church, and the nation. And he gave women the grace to follow. Now, if the man loves his wife and seeks to please her with his actions and his goals, then for the woman to follow his lead will not be a burden, but a joy. That is one way, Matt, to appraise the strength of a marriage by looking at the face of the wife. To evaluate a man, we can look at his wife. For the countenance of a woman speaks of her husband's love for her and of his walk with the Lord. For very few women can resist true love. And when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church in truth and wisdom, then she will love him in return. That is why the greater responsibility for the success of the marriage lies with the man. The apostle Peter wrote, husbands dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife. So we men, initially, we would have to fight, really, to resist in order to overlook that when I come home, that my wife is unhappy, I would have to fight to ignore that initially. 
But just like ignoring the voice of your conscience, which becomes quieter and quieter, eventually we simply don't see it. And if she is unhappy and her countenance has fallen, then we easily attribute it to her being selfish or being immature or not being grateful for this wonderful husband that she has. It's very possible to take the signs that God has provided for us and to use them against us and against our own marriage and against our family. The Bible tells us one of the most tragic things is the family that is destroyed by the hands of one of the parents. When I go home at night, am I happy to see my wife of 17 years? Is that how many, honey? The mother of our children. Am I happy to see her? And very much so, equally as important, is she happy to see me? For you and your wife, does hearing your voice lift her spirits? Does seeing your face, feeling your touch, warm her heart? Does she look forward to you coming home? Do you look forward to her? What does the face of your wife, what does the countenance of your husband tell you? In the Old Testament, we read about a city, actually it's a town, called Peniel. And we read in Genesis 32 that Jacob said, I have seen the face of God and lived. And so he called the name of the place Peniel, where they later built a town, which means in Hebrew, literally, the face of God. Earlier in Genesis, in chapter 4, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? God made us so that we could express ourselves to one another, even when perhaps we're not sure how to put it into words. Why has your countenance fallen? In Isaiah chapter 3, God says of Israel, Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory to look on their countenance, witnesses against them. So God says, when I look at Cain, I know he's done something wrong. When I look at Israel, their countenance is a testimony against them. And the things that they are doing and the things that they are saying are done in order to provoke the eyes of the Lord. Now, counseling is so very important. Books on marriage are vital. I've read many of them, many of the best ones. But right now, right where you sit, right where you are, right where you live, you have the tools that God has given you to look at your husband, look at your wife, and ask God, am I the blessing, Lord, that you want me to be to my beloved? Am I that blessing? And of course, this is true with our children and our parents and grandparents and neighbors 
in our employers, in our friends? If yes, Lord, if I am that blessing, if I see in my wife's countenance, if I can tell by the face of my husband that I am that blessing, Lord, help me to continue loving and continue living for you and for my family. And if no, Lord, if I am not the blessing that you want me to be, Lord God, help me. I'm calling out to you. I've realized that I am not doing what you want me to do. I'm not thinking what you want me to think or praying what you want me to pray. Please help me to love as you love. And now, when I look at this passage in number six, and I think about how Pastor Michael Walker used it in our benediction last night at the banquet, and I think about the end of our own church services, with this passage here, with this benediction, except that this was God putting his name on the children of Israel, and they lived under the law, and they were not sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and so they had to endure to the end to be saved. And it's possible that they would not be kept because Israel had a corporate relationship with God whereas we have an individual relationship with God in the body. We are kept by God's guarantee, as the Apostle Paul teaches in his epistles, the earnestness of the Holy Spirit seals us in Christ until the day of redemption. That is very different than Israel's relationship with God, as David would write, inspired by the Spirit and included in the Scriptures, to the Father, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But we would never pray that. The Apostle Paul does not pray that or teach that, for we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And God does not send down wrath or fire from heaven or strike down with pestilence or divine retribution and kill those today, as he did, for example, with Korah and with Ananias and Sapphira. That was not the dispensation of grace when Ananias and Sapphira were killed for lying about and not giving enough money to church. But for us in the body of Christ, he is only gracious to us. As Paul wrote to the Romans, it is the law that brings about wrath. But we are no longer under law, but under grace. So when we go to a passage like this in Numbers, we are able to benefit from the Scriptures rightly divided so that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in holiness. So we could take from this passage the principles for having good relationships, and especially in the case where one gives his name to another, how to assess the strength of our union. But also we take from it the principles for a church service and for enjoying and recognizing the blessings of God 
And so our benediction today, as it has been many hundreds of times in our church, is simply this. May God bless you all. May he make his face to shine upon you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you, God, for the extraordinary principles you have put in your word. How they sustain us, how they direct us, they lead us and guide us. And Lord, this is because they flow from you. We ask you, Lord God, to help us to be faithful to you. Help us in our ministry with one another. Help us as we seek to do, Lord, that which seems impossible to do, to affect our culture, to affect our nation, to change the world, to point people to you as our creator and the lawgiver, as our savior and judge. Please, Lord God, we know that to have strong marriages is so important so that we could bring you honor and glory and that we not bring shame to the gospel because of hurting our wives or hurting our husbands, but that you are glorified by our closest and most intimate relationships. We ask you to bless each one here and those that we influence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Dominic Enyar again in studio. If you want to get the entire series, God's Plan for Marriage by Bob Enyart, that is available on kgov.com slash store. Just search God's Plan for Marriage or head to today's show page on kgov.com. That's kgov.com. Also, since we do have a little bit of time left, we're going to play a little, just a sneak peek of the next part in this series. Again, if you want to get the entire thing, kgov.com slash store and search God's plan for marriage. This month, we're talking about God's plan for marriage. First, we talked about the need before God to get married according to the law of the land, not just two people deciding that they're married and not just in a church somewhere, but by a marriage ceremony duly recognized in the state where they live as conferring upon them the bonds of matrimony. We talked about that in our first week. And then we talked about our ability, each of us, whether married or not, to use the tools that God gave us to assess the health of our relationships with others, and especially within a marriage, because God gave us this wonderful ability to express ourselves intentionally or unintentionally with our face. And the eyes are a window to the soul, and our cheeks, and our lips, and our countenance. God's countenance falls when we let him down, but he wants to lift his countenance up upon us and especially then the ability of a wife to assess her relationship with her husband and the husband to know whether or not he is being a blessing to his wife. We talked about that in our second message. And so today we've arrived at something so important, and that is how do we 
improve our relationship with our husband or wife when things are difficult, and that applies also whether you're married or not, because these are valuable lessons. So we're going to talk about a couple aspects, just a couple of loving your wife, loving your husband when things are a bit difficult. Because if things could get better in the hard times, then it's easy for them to continue to improve in the good times. Now, the thought of a loving relationship where there is acceptance, kindness, and fellowship, that is such a wonderful dream that it motivates a lot of what we do in life. Relationships are the most important things in all of existence, and that is even true for God. Hey, Dominic Enyart here. We're out of time. If you want the entire thing, go to kgov.com, click on the store, and search God's plan for marriage. Hey, may God bless you guys.